Yeah, so we're going into another quarter, the winter quarter of 2022-2023 uh, in the year of our Lord. And we will be covering this quarter, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And uh, so the uh, our first lesson in Ezra is entitled, The Exiles Take Root. That is Ezra chapters 1 through 3. And the first section is the exiles prepare to leave Babylon, which is chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. And these books we're going to look at describe the fulfillment of prophecy, literally. And we can look forward to that. There is still prophecy coming that we're looking for. And... Uh, since these prophecies were fulfilled literally, we can anticipate that the prophecies related to us will also be fulfilled literally. So we pray that you would teach us as we study these historical books. In Jesus' name, amen. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about the author of Ezra. The author of Ezra is Ezra. That makes it easy to remember, doesn't it? Ezra authored Ezra. The date of the writing was about 450 B.C. Two periods are covered in the book of Ezra. Yeah, so the first six chapters uh, cover a 23-year period from the edict. Welcome aboard. Yeah. So they cover a 23-year period from the edict of uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, to rebuild the temple to the time when the temple was rebuilt. So that is from 538 B.C. to around 515 B.C. Then the last three, four chapters, chapters 7 through 10, record Ezra's return from Babylon to Jerusalem in 458 B.C. So there's quite a few years separation there. So what these books are about are fulfilled prophecy. We believe the Bible because of its uncanny ability to predict the future. And so I wanted to start out not in Ezra, but in Isaiah. Isaiah 44 verse 28 through 45, uh, verse 5. And this is what Isaiah said, and this, Isaiah prophesied this about 150 to 200 years before it happened. So this is someone predicting President Trump in Abraham Lincoln's time. It's the same sort of thing. So it says, It is I who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, She will be built, and of the temple your foundation will be laid. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand, to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut, 
I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places, so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. For the sake of Jacob my servant and Israel my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. This is the prophecy that Ezra fulfills. So, Isaiah, God through Isaiah, called out the name Cyrus 200 years in advance, 150 to 200 years in advance, to rebuild Jerusalem after it had been destroyed by the Babylonians. Now let's look at uh, Ezra 1 through 11. Okay, so Ezra 1 through 11, I'll, I'll read that, okay. Ezra 1, chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 11. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, so notice there's another prophet, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor... At whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a freewill offering for the house of God which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of fathers' households of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose, even everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. All those about them encouraged them with articles of silver, with gold, with goods, with cattle, and with valuables, aside from all that was given as a freewill offering. Also King Cyrus brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and put in the house of his gods. And Cyrus king of Persia had them brought out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and he counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. Now this was their number, 30 gold dishes, 1,000 silver dishes, 29 duplicates, 30 gold bowls, 410 silver bowls of a second kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver numbered 5,400. Shezbazar brought them all up with the exiles who went up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Okay, so that is kind of a historical account of what happened. This was in uh, around 538 BC. There is no historical evidence that Cyrus was a believer in the God of Israel. There is uh, an archaeological artifact called the Cyrus Cylinder 
from around 538 BC. And on it is inscribed this. It says, May all the gods whom I have resettled in their sacred cities daily ask Bel and Nebo for a long life for me. And that was Cyrus writing that. So what he wanted, he had a, um, you know, a program where he would allow conquered peoples to worship their gods, and he wanted them to pray for him. He wanted them to. He wanted their gods to pray to his gods, to pray to for him. You know, that is the that is his motive. He he wasn't. He didn't believe in the true God. But the Lord, knowing this, two hundred years before, prophesied him by name before he was born that he would do this. So that's interesting, isn't it? So the first deportation to Babylon, remember, Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant to punish Jerusalem. And the reason he was punishing Jerusalem was for persistent, centuries-long idolatry. They had broken the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant spelled out disciplines for disobedience. And one of them, and they got progressively worse until finally the last one is they would be deported to a foreign land. Uh, and cannibalism was involved in those. And that did happen in the siege of Jerusalem. They, you know, were were forced to cannibalism. I lost my place. Oh, yeah. So anyway, the the deportation to Babylon came in three waves from Jerusalem. The first was in 605 B.C. And in 605 B.C. was when Daniel and his friends were taken. Daniel was a royal. He was, was from the house of the king. And he and his friends were taken in 605. And then 597 B.C. was the second wave of deportations. And that's when Ezekiel was taken to Babylon. Remember, Ezekiel and Daniel were two prophets prophesying from Babylon. They were contemporaries. I don't think they knew each other personally, but they knew of, at least Ezekiel knew of Daniel because he wrote about Daniel. And then the last wave was the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. That's when they tore the temple down, burned the temple, burned the city. And uh, King Zedekiah had his eyes put out at that time and was taken to Babylon. And so now it's been 70 years, you know. If you go from 605... The decree was in 538 B.C., and they didn't start the temple until 536 B.C., which is just a few months short of 70 years. Okay? And that is exactly what Dan Jeremiah had prophesied, that the Babylonian captivity would be 70 years long. So I have a question for you. Does Isaiah's prophecy give you trust in God? During internal, international tension. This is a 
question from the quarterly. I didn't come up with this. Does anybody think about this, anything during international tension? Do we have international tension today? Yeah, a little bit. We have some. We have people talking about nuclear war. You know? Have Russia invading Ukraine. Yeah, we have international tension. So does Isaiah's prophecy give you trust in God during these times? Absolutely. You know, the Lord is the one who brought this punishment on Jerusalem. He used Nebuchadnezzar to do it. But at that time, and even before that time, he prophesied, or he had the prophets tell them, that it would be limited. The punishment would not be forever. It would not be complete. It would be limited. And they would be restored. And so, you know, we have promises from God also, don't we? As uh, church-age believers, we have promise of eternal life, which has already started. We have a promise of a coming rapture, which will give us new bodies that work better. Yeah, you know, having just gone what I went through last week, I could, I can appreciate that. And uh, yeah, so we have we have promises from God too. God keeps His promises, and when He says something, it will come to pass. So that's why we study the Bible because the Bible tells us these things, and as we look at it, we can see that the fulfillment of prophecy is literal. It is literally what he said earlier. So we don't make up stories, we don't make up allegories about the prophecies. We look at them and we interpret them as they are written. So verse 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. Now, how did he do that? Doesn't say. Has the Lord ever stirred up your spirit? Has he encouraged you to do something, perhaps? Yeah. Or maybe he encourages you to stop doing something. The Lord does, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Stirred up, stirs up your spirit. And look in verse 5. Then the heads of fathers' households of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose, even everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So God stirred the spirits of these people that, hey, I want to go back. I want to go back home. Um, now, not everybody did this. You know, the book of Esther, we're going to read about the people who did not do that. They stayed in Persia. And that, you know, the Lord has something for each one of us to do. Yeah, so the Lord will stir up people to do things, and he doesn't stir up everybody the same way. Huh? Oh, I'm in Ezra. 
We just read 1 through 11. No, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was just talking about verse 5, where the Lord had stirred up the priests and the Levites to go back to Jerusalem. What are some things the Lord has stirred you up to do? So again, we see here God's sovereignty and also man's responsible choice. It says that in verse 1, that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So it was the Lord stirring him to do this. But then we learn from his Cyrus cylinder that the reason he was doing it was his own choice. His own choice was he wanted other gods to pray for him. That's what he wanted. So his reason was not the same as God's reason. God was doing this to restore the temple. And uh, so the Bible teaches both things at once. God is absolutely sovereign in what happens. He, what he says goes, but he uses the free choice of people to do it. How can he do that? Because he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything before it's been done. You know? <laughs> and so he can arrange things and still give people their own choice. And this is what happens to us. So... Because we're saved by grace, right? We're saved not by anything we do. We are saved by trusting in what was done for us. Jesus did the whole thing. Jesus died on the cross. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. When he gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished is the Greek word tetelestai, which is an accounting term meaning paid in full. So our only, when it says to obey the gospel, what that means is to put your trust in Christ. Once you do that, you are eternally saved. But the Lord wants to give you the opportunity to be used by him. And that is how you have a, a good life, a great life. And in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what you were mentioning. Which God prepared beforehand. So the good works that are set before us, God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So as we follow the Spirit, which is our own choice, we do the works that God has prepared before for us, and we get the benefit of being rewarded for those things. Okay, so that's the exiles prepared to leave Babylon. Anything else about that? Comments? Questions? It's a historical fact. It's written down in history. We have the dates, you know, and uh, it fits the Bible perfectly. The prophecy came true literally. 
Now, Ezra 2, 1 through 63, take a look at Ezra 2. What do you see there? 1 through 63. What do you see there? There's a thousand Hebrew names. <laughs> yes. I'm not going to make you read that, okay? Because that is painful. That's like putting a needle in your eye. But anyway, this is the list of returnees with Zerubbabel. So they were deported in three waves, and they returned in three waves. Okay, the first wave was Zerubbabel, who was the governor, who was in the line of David. Zerubbabel was a descendant of David. And uh, this group here, so we have a record of who came back. Again, we have historical fact about who came back. This is not Jack and the Beanstalk. This is not made up. This is historical fact. These people came back from Babylon. And then uh, the next wave was uh, with Ezra. Ezra, you know, several years later, brought back, I think it was 23 years later, brought back several, and he kind of reformed Judah. They they had already fallen into sin in 23 years when Ezra went back, and then finally Nehemiah went back in the third wave, and they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. So three waves for deportation and three waves of return. Okay, so let's go to the next section, which starts in chapter 2, verse 64. And this describes the exiles reach Jerusalem, verses 64 through 70. Somebody up to reading that? 64 through 70? Okay, thank you, ma'am. So look at the number who came, verse 64. The whole assembly numbered 42,360, and they had servants. Verse 65 said they had 7,337 servants, and they also had singing men and women. That's interesting. So they had uh, some musicians travel with them, 200. In all, there was about 50,000 people who came back. Now, if there's people coming back who have servants and have people to sing to them, what do you think their economic status is? It's pretty good. They're, they're wealthy, right? These are wealthy people. So, remember what Jeremiah told them. I don't know if you remember that. You know, we claim this for us as Christians now. Remember the plans I have for you? Yeah, let me just read that to you. That, that verse was written not to us, but to the nation of Judah in captivity in Babylon. Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7 is what I was thinking of. It says, <clears throat> this is Jeremiah writing to them, Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands 
that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. A few verses later, verse 11 is uh, surely said, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So they had done that. They had settled 70 years in Babylon. They had done what the Lord told them to, and they had prospered. They had become relatively wealthy. So this, you know, as they listened to Jeremiah in Babylon and did what he said out of faith, they prospered. and. Jeremiah 29.11 was fulfilled for them. He gave them a future and a hope. And that is an example for us. You know, the Holy Spirit tells us to do things. We should do that because we will prosper uh, materially right now. So then verses 68 and 69, some of the heads of father's households, when they arrived at the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered willingly for the house of God to restore it on its foundation. And then it recorded what they gave, 61,000 gold drachmas. That's about 1,100 pounds of gold. And then 5,000 silver minus. Um, I can't remember how much. That's a greater amount of silver. So, but they gave generously for the temple construction out of thanks to God. Now, something happened, and we'll learn this eventually. When you try to do something for the Lord, is it always easy? No. <laughs> it brings up resistance, right? And that's what happened here, and we'll read about this later. There was resistance. The surrounding people did not want them to rebuild the temple. They did not want that, and they did everything they could to stop them. And they did stop. They just stopped. And then 18 years later, God raised a prophet to them. And that prophet was Haggai. Okay? So not last summer, but the summer before we studied Haggai. And Haggai and Zechariah both were raised up at, at this time in history. And the reason for Haggai and Zechariah were to encourage the exiles to rebuild the temple. That's what they were doing. So Haggai says this. This is fascinating. Remember, these people came there and they were wealthy. Haggai says, in the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Okay, remember Zerubbabel. He's the governor who came in the first, first wave. Governor of Judah and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Okay. So they, they had run into difficulty. People had stopped them by force with guns. Well, they didn't have guns then. Swords. <laughs> yeah. And they just stopped. 
they didn't pursue it anymore. So then the, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And then he goes on to say this, You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The Lord had made their economic activity fruitless. Exactly. Yeah, purse with holes. So the Lord, and in the book of Haggai, the moment they started rebuilding the temple, the Lord said, from now on, from this day on, I will bless you. So they had become poor 18 years later because they were not doing what the Lord asked them to. Now, we are a little different in the church age because in Ephesians chapter 1, it says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Our bank account spiritually is full. When you go to the Lord and say, Lord, bless me, he says, what do you want? It's full. <laughs> you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So uh, spiritually, we're maxed out. Will the Lord support us materially? Yes, he will. He promises to do that. Will he give us all of our wants? No, he won't. Will he give us all our needs? Yes, he will. So, and uh, this also is from the Old Testament, from the Proverbs. It's a, it's a very good principle. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, some TV preachers abuse that verse and misapply it. Giving in the church age is by grace, and no amount is um, given to us. We are just told to give as we are able and give uh, to be generous as we are able and give with a cheerful spirit. Okay? And why do we give? We give because we've been blessed. That's why. So, but the Lord will support us and use us for his purposes as we follow him. So, and then... Uh, Verse 70 of chapter 2, Now the priests and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their cities, and all Israel in their cities. So they went back to build the temple in Jerusalem, but they didn't live there. Jerusalem, remember, was trashed by the Babylonian army. The temple was burnt down. And so it was a, it was a pile of rubble. And so they didn't go back there to live. And actually, in Nehemiah's day, they had a lottery for people to come and live 
in Jerusalem, <laughs> you know, and, and they were praising the people that were willing to do that, to go and live in Jerusalem and suffer, you know, to live in the capital, uh, because it took time for it to be put back together. Yeah. Right. It was a, it was a, it was a tough situation. So when they first come back, they went to their ancestral lands that had been divided up under Joshua. That's where they went back to. Okay. So that's the end of that section. Anything else about this? Right. Right. They saw, yeah, they saw an opportunity. We're following the Lord. And so when you're following the Lord, you know everything's going to be okay. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way. But you know it by faith. As you follow the Lord, everything will work out, and it will work out for the best. Okay, so section C, the exiles build the altar. That's chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I bet I'll read that section. Now when the seventh month came, seventh month, and the sons of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jeshua the son of Jehozadak, of Jehozadak and his brothers the priests, and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and his brothers arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they set up the altar on its foundation, for they were terrified because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. They celebrated the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and offered the fixed number of burnt offerings daily, according to the ordinance, as each day required. And afterward there was a continual burnt offering, also for the new moons and for all the fixed festivals of the Lord that were consecrated, and from everyone who offered a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. Okay. So the seventh month, verse 1 there, has significance. The seventh month is the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. So they returned to follow the Lord. That's the reason they returned and how they gathered to build the altar to the Lord. This has a lot of precedence that when you See, they were gathering to thank the Lord for protecting them on their travels and bringing them back and fulfilling his promise of Isaiah and of Jeremiah. Abraham did the similar thing. This is in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. It says, The Lord appeared to Abram, and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So, 
their response is worship. Their response is worship to what the Lord has done. In order to come into the Lord's presence prior to the cross, a blood sacrifice was required. Remember? The Lord instituted that in Genesis chapter 3. Because Adam and Eve fell, the Lord forgave them, and then they discovered, hey, we're naked. <laughs> they tried to use fig leaves to cover them up. That was not adequate. The Lord killed an animal. That's the first death in creation. He took their skins and he covered them. And so since that time, to come into the presence of God, a blood sacrifice is required. And thankfully for us, that blood sacrifice, the real one, happened 2,000 years ago. And that was Jesus' blood. And we acquire that for ourselves personally, his blood, when we trust in him. And so that is why we can enter into the presence of God. That's why we can come boldly to the throne of grace, because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. So, and that's what they're doing here. They are um, coming to worship the Lord for what he has done. And then how did they do it? Verse 2, so the high priest, Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and Zerubbabel, who was the representative of the Davidic line, he was the governor. He was not the king. The last Davidic king was Zedekiah. And from Zedekiah on, the times of the Gentiles have been in play. Nebuchadnezzar was the start of it. It will go on until through the tribulation period. And then the times of the Gentiles will end, and Jesus will be the Davidic king. And he will never give up his kingship ever again. So, um, but it says so these people came, they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So, how do we do things as it is written? That's how we do things. We come to the Lord the same way. We come to the Lord as it is written, as church-age believers. Then look in uh, verse 3. Their faith was still pretty weak. You know, they'd been uh, cast out. They'd been in Babylon, or, uh, yeah, in Babylon, and they were doing what the Lord said, but their faith was weak. Why do I say that? So they set up the altar on its foundation, for they were terrified because of the people's of the lands. If you have a believer who is terrified, that is a believer whose faith is weak. How many times does uh, the Bible tell us not to be afraid? Well, yeah, one for every day of the year, 365 days. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There's no need to be afraid, ever. Remember, Jesus, there was a, there were, the disciples and Jesus were crossing the Sea of Galilee. A storm came up. Is the uh, fishermen, who's that was their profession, was being out on the sea, thought they were going to die. <laughs> Jesus was sleeping, <laughs> and he asked them, "Why are you afraid?" And then he says, "Where is your faith?" Right? Because their faith was too small. If your faith 
you know, if you trust the Lord, there's no re reason to be af afraid. But they, you know, God bless these guys. They were doing it even though they were afraid. And, I, you know, I think if you, as you follow God, even if you're afraid, that fear will go down. That fear will go away. And eventually, you won't be afraid anymore as you follow the Lord. So they did it. They offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. That's what the Lord said to do in the Law of Moses. And they did it as it was prescribed. And so they left out that um, Rosh Hashanah was on the first. The tenth of the seventh month was the Day of Atonement. And I, you know, I'm sure they celebrated that. That was the one day under Mosaic Judaism where they were commanded to fast. They were to fast on the Day of Atonement. And they came up with all sorts of other fasts, but they were never ordered by the Lord. So, and then they, and they sacrificed things. This is when they had the scapegoat. They sent, they killed one goat, sacrificed it, and they sent one goat out. And it was to typify the taking away of sins from the people. So on the 10th of the month, that's Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And then the 15th through the 21st of the seventh month is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And they celebrated the Feast of Booths. And that was to commemorate God's support of them during their wilderness wanderings. So the sacrificial system is reinstituted before the foundation of the temple is made. And that's in verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. You know, how can you worship God before Christ without a sacrificial system? That is how your sins were covered. So they had gone seven years without their sins covered because it was in that that God provided for sins until Jesus came. It couldn't take away sins, but it could cover sins until Jesus came. So that they realized that that was very important. Now we also offer up sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices do we offer? Praise. Yes, praise. Anything else? Okay. Yeah, doing good. That's in the same verse as praise, Hebrews 13, 15. Those are spiritual sacrifices which please the Lord. Hebrews 13 through 15 talks about the sacrifice of uh, lips that praise his name and also uh, doing good and being willing to share. These are sacrifices with which God is well pleased. And another sacrifice we give is our bodies, right? That is our reasonable service of worship. When we realize what God has done, a living sacrifice, we allow him to use our bodies. That's called discipleship. When we allow uh, God to use our body, that's discipleship. We allow him to lead us as we read his word and he urges us to do things or to stop doing things which are sinful. You know, 
it serves the same purpose as the, uh, well, as following the law of Moses did. Following the law of Moses was made, the law of Moses was made for a saved people. The law of Moses is impossible to follow. You can't do it. Nobody can do it. You know, but it's a way of blessing for those who are saved before Christ. When they followed the law of Moses, they were blessed. You know, and, the, and Deuteronomy just lays it out how they would be blessed when they followed it and how they would be cursed if they didn't follow it. Um, so for us, we follow the Spirit, and the Spirit uses the Bible to fill in what that means, you know. And we've talked about some of those things, being willing to share, um, you know, giving f for the church, um, cleaning up our language, maybe uh, sexual purity. Those are some of the things. Just meeting together. That's one of the things that the Bible tells us to do, Go, you know, meeting together to worship the Lord. Okay. So the... I wrote something down here. Let me see if I can figure out what I was trying to say. I put these sacrifices differentiate the smaller pool of disciples from the larger pool of believers. I'm not sure that is exactly true, but it is a fact that the in in our day that the pool of believers in Jesus Christ, those who are going to heaven, who are eternally saved, is larger than the number of disciples. Isn't that true? The disciples are the ones who said, yes, I will follow you. For The cost of being a believer is zero to the one receiving it. All you have to do is trust Christ. You're going to heaven. He has paid your sins. That is what is required by God for you to go to, go to heaven. But if you, want, if you want to be used by God in this world, you have to follow him. That costs you, okay? But when he takes things away from you, he always gives you back something better. He always replaces. He does ask us to give up things. He asks us to give up sexual immorality, for one thing. You know? He asks us to give up perverse language, for another thing. He asks us giving up deceit, trying to, you know, get ahead through deception. And just trust him. But he always replaces what he takes away with something much better. Okay, section D, the exiles begin to build the temple. That's 7 through 13 of chapter 3. Somebody want to give that a go? Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, so they started in the spring after the fall festival. So this is the second year they'd been back. In the second month, they started their temple project. In the meantime, they were gathering materials. Again, lumber from Lebanon. Solomon had done the same thing. Solomon brought lumber from Lebanon. They floated it down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa and brought it into Jerusalem. Then verse 9, the Levites, 20 years and older, were given oversight of rebuilding. Verse 10, when the foundation was laid, they celebrated as David had done on bringing the ark into Jerusalem. That's how they did it. And there was joy mixed with sadness. Why do you think there was joy mixed with sadness? The first one was more grand. 
and the old folks who remembered that were sad, you know. And both Haggai and Ze uh, Zechariah said, well, it was Zechariah who said, do not despise the day of small things. They did put a lot into it. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it looked, it looked like, what is this? You know, it was not enough. They didn't, you know, the, the old people. And the young people are going, yay, you know. But um, a little with the Lord is a lot. That's the lesson there, because the Lord, this is the temple that Jesus came to, the second temple. It's the temple he came to, and it was glorious when he came. So, um, so Lord, we thank you for uh, this book, which tells us the fulfillment of prophecy, and we look forward to prophecy being fulfilled for us in our day. In Jesus' name, amen.